0: Hey everyone, it's Cashy here. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is a bit of an insight into our most recent event, which was the book launch. And this is me basically interviewing Matt. So enjoy this little Cashy takeover (laughs) and let us know what you think. You talk about some key truths.
1: Yes. Right.
0: So you say every organisation in the world has unhappy employees. Mm -hmm. That's pretty peak. Every single human being has happiness levels that fluctuate. Yep, very true. No company will ever have happy employees all the time. Absolutely. Yep. And it's not healthy or realistic for human beings to be happy all the time. Why was it so important for you to set this out, because like th- so early in the book?
1: I think, it's, and we've got lots of our clients here today, and we'll have a, a client panel later. Um, there's this really good saying that once a metric becomes a target, it ceases to be a useful metric. Someone way smarter than me said that, and I'll find out who, who, who did. But what happens with, because the data and the platform is amazing, there is an initial thing to think the happiness index is all about what we would call toxic positivity, which mm. has been happy all the time. But that's just not possible. Um, and like I said earlier, you learn as much from like what's when people are not happy and so on. So I wanted to establish that because we called the happiness index, not the high happiness index. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I repeat that on a daily. And, and us, we use the happiness index ourselves, and our clients use it, and we all fall into that trap mm-hmm. because we want the metrics to go up, and over time we want the averages to go up. But um, it's really difficult for our clients as well because as soon as the numbers drop, the CEOs will be onto some of the HR team, and say, "Why are they dropping?" And we'll talk about that later, Monique. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to establish that point that this is the, this is the study of happiness. Yeah. This is not toxic positivity. And I felt like it's really important to to get that point out early.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Completely agree. But I mean, we talk a lot about happiness right now. Happiness and engagement sometimes compete. Yeah. Why do you think they don't need to?
1: Well, the reason I think they compete is so History lesson for the for the fellow historian geeks in here. Um, we did a podcast with Bill Kahn, who is the person who coined the phrase employee engagement. That was 1990 at Boston University. Um, it was always supposed to include emotions in employee engagement, but once it got sort of co-opted by business schools and um, some of the consultancy firms, it just became this really cold metric which meant, effectively, engagement was what the company wanted. Hmm. But I've never, ever been in a pub or anywhere social and heard someone say to someone, oh, how engaged at work are you? (laughs) Like, human beings don't care. We in HR do, because it's important to us. And our role as companies, and we employ people, we want people to be engaged in the work that they do. But the individual is interested in their own happiness. And what the book is about is about how one of the things that frustrates me about life at the moment is everything is like polarized, isn't it? Yeah. You're either this or you're that, um, and there is no, there's just no in between on any subject anymore. There's no people going, oh no, maybe you've got a good idea, and, and that kind of happens in the business world. So the book is about how actually, it is, it's okay for companies. Like companies pay their employees, and it's okay for them to get work out of what they want. But it's also okay for employees to enjoy that and get a lot from there. Career throughout that, um, so that was just that was just a, a point that we that we made, and obviously Clive helped us articulate that into what I said earlier, which is engagement is what the brain needs, and happiness is what the heart needs.
0: Yeah, love that, love that.
1: That uh, makes sense.
0: If you could, yeah, absolutely, it does. If you can see on the back there on the, on the slides, we love our little heart and brain little characters there. I, do they have names?
1: Joe, they have names. Pat, what Pat? Can we name them, please? <laughs>
0: What's this one going to be? Erm um and R. Mr. Erm. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you're talking about how these concepts sort of came to be, it's got me thinking. Mm. Can you tell me about day one?
1: Oh, what happened? How index. did this happen? I think we've got a picture up. Yeah. this is it. That's Tony on the left there, that's Chris in the middle, um, and that's me on the right, and Isabella, <laughs> He's also <laughs> looking a bit embarrassed, that's her. So that's, that's around our dining room table.
0: <laughs> so cute. Um,
1: but obviously, it looks fun, but day, day one was an absolute disaster. Um, we we For those that don't know, we had built the Happiness Index in a company called 4Ps two years prior to it launching. So, Matt Stannard, our CTO, who's, who's on a train, and we've um, trying to get here desperately, and we've switched around the schedule so he can do his session later on AI. He'd built like a, a beta version that we used with our clients before we turned it into the Happiness Index that you know today. And there's a saying in technology that if you um, if you're not embarrassed by version one of your product, you launch too late. And Chris, would you say we're embarrassed at version one? <coughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have the screenshots in here or whatever. We'll send them around. It, was, it looks shocking. Um, But all we were trying to just do is trying to understand, is there a relationship between, if your employees are happy, does that impact your customer happiness? And does that effectively impact the bottom line? At that stage, that's all we were looking at. But like all these things, when you invent something, you think everyone else is going to be into that thing. (laughs) But it turns out that it wasn't. So the first person I I called, I thought, she is the type of person who's going to absolutely prioritize happiness. And she I phoned her and she basically said, look, Matt, if people are unhappy, I'll fire them. <laughs> oh my god. And I was like, because when you're really into something and passionate about it, you just assume. Like I assume everyone else is a Tottenham fan, but they're not. <laughs> it's not yeah, gone down very is, well, has it? Yeah,
0: this is, this is quite possibly one of the only like points that make me yeah. dislike Matt.
1: But um there was a couple of other ones, because um, Is it it the queen who said recollections may vary? So I had to to email Tony and Chris to just get the recollections. But um, Tony's recollection was a meeting with a huge brand that you would know, which I won't explain, but maybe I'll tell you in the pub later. (laughs) But um, Tony went for a meeting with them, and they effectively um, asked him to leave a meeting two minutes in once they found out what he was there to do, which was talk about happiness. If Tony's not here. I actually blame him for that meeting, (laughs) because If you travel for a meeting, you should qualify whether that person's interested first. But Tony's not here, so I can say that. (laughs) Poor Tony. Chris, do you remember your quote that you you sent over? It sounds like it's from a Disney movie. Can you remember it? Go on, do you want to share it? That's sad. Yeah. That's what we should have called the book, isn't it? I don't believe I don't in happiness. Believe in
0: happiness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's... How bleak.
1: So it's still a challenge today, and we've got lots of our clients here today, but 10 years ago, like, people just thought we were absolute hippies um, and that this was just a complete waste of time. But luckily, within that mix, and lots of them are in, in the room today, people like Margot. Hello, Margot. <laughs> so Margot was at um, Sedexo, and a few people um, took a chance on us. And then from that... Um, that spreads and then they get referred, and the amount of times I've probably given your phone number out, Margot, and said, "Can you, <laughs> can you chat to these people?" Poor Margot. <laughs> yeah, but that's how it starts. So, yeah. so I just didn't want to paint this picture that we're here today and it's all been smooth. It was really, really frigging tough um, in the first few years, and then the pandemic happened. But I don't even want to talk about that today.
0: So valid, so yeah. valid. That sounds like quite a journey. Yeah. Wow, what a time. But. Okay, let's go back to. we have had the sentimental moment. Let's, yep. let's go back to the data part. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to the book, the content. Yep. You say this a lot. Yep. And oh, God, what is it? <laughs> you talk about emotions as data points. Yep. What does that mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, so Clive will touch a little bit on this later. Yeah. But if you take, let's take uh, an emotion like surprise when you've not done something before. The reason you feel surprised is because you haven't done it before, and your body is preparing you for something new. Right. When you've done something maybe 25 times, you're not surprised every time. Um, and that's what emotions are. They're a way that our body and our brain, um, they're collecting data from the environment around us. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when you work something like at the happiness index, you start coming out with crazy quotes like emotions are data points, because that's all we're thinking about. <laughs> but just this is what we're doing every day like when you come in like whether you feel the air con is too cold now or you think it's too hot it feels a bit hot up here under the lights Mm. but they're just data points that are registering within your body and emotions are um are a mix of that the one we talked about in the tedx is anger um we talked about how people try and label an emotion as good or bad so anger let's the example i always use is if someone stole your work at work and passed it off as their own um, fuming. Absolutely fuming.
0: Absolutely fuming.
1: But you can pretend that you're not angry, but you still are angry. You're just trying to put a professional hat on. Now, what people do is they connect the they, they confuse the emotion with the action. Hmm. So if someone steals your work, um, and then you go to them and you find them and you punch them in the face, <laughs> that's not the emotion. That is the act. But but it's still okay to feel angry if someone has stolen your work. But then it's like our human part of our brain where we go, okay, there's better ways that I can deal with this. And that's why I use that quote to just try and differentiate that. um, We try and label emotions as good or bad, but they're just normal things. And when you feel sad, we're always trying to make ourselves feel happy. But actually, it's okay to sit in your sadness. So that's uh, that's kind of what I mean.
0: Yeah, perfect. I like that. I also think that's a hilarious like, overreaction to someone stealing your work. Like, yeah. just punch them in the face. Is
1: there anyone put your hand off if you ever punch someone in the face because they stole your work. <laughs> oh, Mel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe throw throw a coffee in their face. <laughs> fine. <laughs>
1: it's fine. It's going dark now, isn't yeah. it?
0: <laughs> but I mean, you give a lot of like really interesting information in the book. But one thing that you never do is sort of give like, management advice or, yeah. like, that kind of guidance. And I know that's something that you get asked about a lot. And the Happiness Index in general gets asked about a lot. It's, it's like, how, what what people should do once they've got yeah. their results. Why is it that you kind of avoid that?
1: Well, it's, that's a real big challenge. And, our, and our, um, our customers ask about this all the time as well. And and even the, review, the book's been reviewed probably about 25 times. It's mostly good reviews. But there was one negative review where someone was like, Well, this book's useless. It doesn't give any advice. Um, But the reason I I make a point of that, and this isn't false modesty. Everything that is presented in the book is because of the happiness indexes, employees, and customers, right? I'm just sharing the information. It's not false modesty. That's all I'm doing is I'm a storyteller. But the companies that we work with and the organizations we work with, has anyone got a twin in the room? Anyone got a twin? (gasps) Wow. Can you just introduce yourself to everyone, twin? Oh, we've got two, we've actually got two twins. You're both you're not twins, are you, you two? I've got twins. Uh, But you two are not twins. No, we're not twins. Okay, you just happen to be sick the twins have just come together. (laughs) (laughs) So Gemma, you go first. I've got got twin girls. You've got twin girls, Okay. Are they um, identical? No. Okay. and are their personalities different? Completely different. Yeah, thanks. And, And
0: we've done nothing
1: different all the way through. But their personalities are different. And uh, twin number two. Sorry, do you want to introduce? Sorry, twin number one. Twin number one. <laughs> oh, I didn't know it gets it gets gets competitive, doesn't it? I'm a twin myself, and I have twins. <laughs> okay. So, are you an identical twin? Are you identical twin? No, totally And your children are they identical? Okay. And are are their personalities the same? Okay. So there there's loads of amazing studies into twins and how different even identical twins are. And the reason, and I'll get back to answering your question in a second. Yeah, I just yeah, won't do, okay. I'm just interested in twins. It's
0: all right. I'm I'm used <laughs> to your tangents. It's fine.
1: <laughs> is that even if identical twins are different, it means therefore means every employee that you have is different. Therefore, every team is different. Therefore, every company is different. Therefore, every culture is different. So, if I mean we've got as we mentioned we've got Wiley here today. Like, I love reading books, but you read one book, and it's like, that is the way to do it. Then you read this book, and it's like, that is the way to do it. And then you're like, book 10, you're like, which way is it? But that's because there isn't a way. And uh, has anyone watched Mandalorian on Disney Plus? Like, the baddies and the Mandalorians, they always say, at the end of it, they always go, this is the way. But that's what cults do. Like, this is the way. Like, that's why you have to repeat it over and over again. So I didn't want the book to be cultish, and I just wanted it to be, is that a word? Yeah, really it bad, is, it? I
0: think it's a word, but that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah.
1: So long story short, I wanted to treat the reader that they've got intelligence, that they can take the data back and apply it in their very, very unique organisation or in their, in their life. So the point, the, the point on that is it's just, I think it's condescending to say this is the way. Yeah. So if you take like one of the top drivers is um, positive relationships, how you might foster that in a 100% virtual company versus um, Fuller's, who you hear from later um, from Monique, who've got like bar staff. They've got office staff. Like, there isn't one way. <laughs> and again, it goes back to that, you know, like the world try and make everything like left or right or whatever. It's just the world's not like that. So I just thought, let's present the data. People are intelligent to make their own minds up what to do with it. And that doesn't make everyone happy, unfortunately. But that's, that's what I felt more comfortable doing.
0: I love that. I love that. So basically, just a case of using a lens to look at different things, but yeah. not like using it as like a blanket go to.
1: Yeah. But like Clive, Clive um, who'll be on after us, often talks about the dub- double split experiment, which is a physics, double slit experiment, which is a physics experiment that means. Clive's even if covering
0: f- his face already. Yeah.
1: Which Are means you going to cover this later, up. Clive? Yeah. <laughs> are
0: you co- me up yeah,
1: Are you covering it later? Because I won't now if you are. I'm not talking about the normalcy. OK. But Google it later and watch it on YouTube. It'll just blow your mind, right? But the, main, the point I was just making is even if you observe something, it can change the experiment. So even if you try and get some data and go, this is what happened in Fuller's, it may be different to what happens in ISS or Sodexo or whatever. So we've just got to be aware of all this stuff before we try and think everything is like how we believe it to be.
0: Perfection. Love it. Cool.
1: didn't it's think we very... get the double slit experiment. Yeah, no.
0: I, I've never heard of that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie.
1: Honestly, it took me about 55 watches. There's a, there's a saying on quantum physics that if you, underst- if, if you think you understand quantum physics, you don't understand quantum physics, which is, that's all you need to know, isn't it? Okay, I'll
0: spend one <laughs> 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 yeah, to be fair. Every, every talk I get, or I listen to, or every conversation I have with Clive. I leave it with just like yeah. mind blown I'm like yeah. I, I don't I don't feel real anymore.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Everyone at any time you've had a session with Clive you just have to go and sit down yeah. afterwards in a yeah. quiet room. So if yeah. you do that later that's cool.
0: Yeah. After after Clive's talk you take 5 minutes have your existential crisis it's fine. <laughs> We're here to support you. But I mean it's I think you'll agree it's very lovely to be in a room full of lovely smiling faces. Um, some of which I've only ever seen on Zoom. Gemma over there was like the biggest shock of my life to see that she's a real human being.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, and you know, we're all feeling the buzz of the energetic connections. Yeah. Why was that the theme for today?
1: Um, I sort of touched on it earlier, but it's, it's someone, one of our clients said this the other day. because um, I'm a bit of a geek, I'm into my computer games, but they said it feels like the last few years have been like a computer game on hard. Anyone else feel like that? <laughs> and I felt like it's just summarised it. Oh, it, that's just, so real. it just, sum, just summarised it up it perfectly. So I just think, it, I mean, we've done a bit of work with Unilever. The CEO, I hate this <laughs> saying, but it's so true. They said, like, we live in a, an era of perma-crisis. Like, jeez, that, that makes all our anxiety just go. But I think, again, I, I'm not trying to set it up too much for Clive's session, but Clive will be talking about change and adapting to change um later but, but that that was kind of the that was kind of the reason for w- what everyone's been through
0: mm. okay i forgot so, the question that's okay.
1: halfway through i was answering it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's okay that's okay your brain was going what tangent can i go on
1: <laughs> plus it's my favorite one although um Stephen bianchi i don't think Stephen's here who's uh, each one of those 24 areas that you can see on the screen there's an expert lots of the experts are here so if you listen to the podcast and you see them you see people like Chopi around go and say hello to them because they've Put your hand up, Shopee, I've, na- I've named you now. <laughs> but there's, there's loads of experts in the room that were on the podcast that we basically got the data on these areas and then analyzed them. The one that, although Energetic Connections is my favorite, the one that I found the most interesting is the one that my brain ignores the most, which is, um, as you see it on the right under clarity, which is information flow. Stephen Bianchi's not here, but he managed to make information flow really interesting. Um, so go and have a look at it. But it's it's he talks about like the choke of information, like some companies release information too slowly and some also do too fast. Like they just put loads of information out and you like don't even know what to think. And some don't put enough out about company performance. But listen to the one by Stephen Bianchi. That's mm. that's there's a lot in that that i would not heard before.
0: Definitely. The podcasts are all really, really good. Yeah. Um, great listening to. Well, while, while you read your book.
1: And you get guest host Cashy, sometimes on there. Do you? Yeah. You've done a couple. You've done a couple. Oh,
0: my god, yeah. I did. I did. Oh, I've forgotten already. Such a
1: moment in your life that you've <laughs> even forgotten.
0: <laughs> it was my favourite moment. It was when we, we talked about our mums coming to the book yeah, launch. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We did a podcast and we didn't talk about anything that we were supposed to talk about. Yeah. So we don't liter- even bother listening to that one. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> we were meant to be talking about the book and we just went, oh, our mums are coming to the book launch. we should yeah. send them on a night out together or something.
1: That's called manifesting it. Yeah, it? yeah,
0: yeah. Pat and Daz on the town, you know. <laughs> it's going to be great.
1: <laughs> mum's <laughs> blushing.
0: <laughs> um... But yeah, I mean, you've given a lot of good information here. If you're thinking about, you know, using something like the Happiness Index or or, or kind of beginning this journey of understanding the emotions as data points and stuff like that, where does a company begin?
1: Uh, look, there's low. There's every company's different. Everyone starts from a different starting point. But I'm a big advocate that psychological safety is always the place to start. 100%. Because if someone isn't safe at work, they're not going to be able to access all the other parts of their brain that are really important. So I just think, like, Gemma and I always joke about this. It's like, even when someone starts at a company and you say they're on probation, like, I think we may even still do it, but, like, the word probation comes from, like, when you're in prison, doesn't it? You might spend with... um, Is Kevin O'Brien here? Kevin? Uh Kevin, on average... um, Let's take a HR director role. On average, how long does it take to recruit... um, Sorry, Kevin, you've got... On average, how long does it take to recruit for a HR director role? If you're recruiting for a HR director role, Kevin does a great job of that, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I mean, approximately four and a half months. Yeah. So some people go out of the way to work with recruiters, really good cr- recruiters, hire someone, and then the first thing they do is don't trust them by saying you're on probation for three months. They also have a notice period as well. So yeah. the whole process can take up to like yeah. seven months. So uh, I'm not saying we're perfect on that or, or, or anyone, but... I think when you think about psychological safety, it makes you just review all the things that you've done. So mm. I just think that is, that's point number one when, when someone comes into your team, just make them feel safe. Definitely. Um, and then all the rest of the stuff, all the great, like, my favourite, one of my favourites freedom to take opportunities. But someone's not going to pop their hand up in a meeting and come up with a new idea that could save the company if they don't feel safe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. You've got me thinking now. I forgot, I didn't even realise about the probation part. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think wild. we've still got
1: it in ours. I don't know. Oh, don't dear. i to call it three-month
0: review.
1: Three-month review.
0: Three-month review. <laughs> <laughs> Both
1: ways. Both ways. There you Love go. It. We've <laughs> rebranded it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it. We're, as I said, the happiness index are not perfect. We're working on our own. Our own.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're all, we're all just human. We're all yep. f- free to be human. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, you've talked a lot about like how hard the last few years have been and stuff, um, yep. and the struggles that we've all had. And I know you use this reference quite a lot, but why do you think that we are at a 1984-style crossroads in, in the world at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think, um, can you put your hand up if you have read this book? Cool. And can you put your hand up if you've read it in the last uh, 12 months? Cool. I'd just recommend, if you haven't read it, to read it. And if you have read it, haven't read it in the last few years, just reread it. There is so much stuff in this book that is so true and is so happening right now um, (coughs) that I feel like we're at a crossroads. And and Matt Stannard and Tony are going to talk about this later uh, in the AI section. We're on a crossroads on how we use technology. um, And I think it can go both ways. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that George Orwell didn't predict is he predicted pretty effectively what states are going to do with um, monitoring individuals. But he didn't predict what companies might do. And what has happened is you've got super celebrity owners of massive companies now that make decisions and employ um, mm-hmm. and generate GDP more than countries. That These companies have more power. So it's not to say um, the world is going to end, because if the world ends, we probably won't know anyway. Um, but what it is to say is I do think we all at this time in history, need to all educate ourselves on stuff like AI, because we're all employees and we're all citizens. Um, and it's not to say, because the thing is most, Matt will do a great job. Matt Stanley will do a great job later of helping you understand AI and not be scared of it. But our first instinct of AI is to be a bit scared, because all we hear is on the news is that it's going to like fire nukes at us, and we think about Terminator 2 and everything. But I think it's our responsibility of all of us to understand where this technology is going. And even if that means you're just reading some blogs or you're listening to some of the, the, the great podcasts out there, I just think it's a responsibility that we should all have to educate ourselves. Because I think it can go two ways at the moment. I think it can go to where companies are, are almost police states, tracking keystrokes, how long someone's away from their desk, all that sort of stuff. Like, that's where it is now. That can get way worse. Mm. But there's another way where we use this stuff to free ourselves up, where we free ourselves to have more time for our mental health, for our well-being, to be able to to keep ourselves fit, and all of this type of stuff. And I don't... I'm not not a pessimist, so I don't think AI is just going to run away and do all the bad stuff. Um, But, again, I don't worry about that, because if the world does end where the world's ended anyway, I think the worst thing... That could happen is like companies become police states, um, because we, we and our children will have to live that. Mm. So all I would, that's what I would just encourage. And I say this as a technology company, we have a massive responsibility ourselves. Um, so even within our company, we have to question why and how we do stuff. Anonymity is absolutely crucial in what we do. When you gave your um, feedback earlier, one I won't be able to, to, to one I wouldn't be able to, one I wouldn't want to find out who said what, um, and two I couldn't. But it's really, really important that um, people just start to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You can ask questions in your own company. Like, ask the CEO, like, what, what stuff do we use AI, AI, AI for? Joe used um, Where's Joe? Joe, you've been using AI for um, this. Do you want to use the mic? Yeah, for a lot of these slides, they save like saving a lot of time for AI. For and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe's our, Joe, a round of applause to Joe, because Joe created all this stuff, all our brand. <laughs> But Joe, Joe uses AI to take out all the boring tasks so he can be creative. And that's, like, the plus side of it. But I do think we all need to be going back to our organisations and asking the right questions. Because we think George Orwell did a great job of making us think about it from a state perspective. But I also think we need to think of it from a company perspective. And, but, but you can do that in the best way as well. Like, you don't have to go in and, like... It doesn't have to be an aggressive approach. It can be trying to understand and say, look, I want to help shape AI positively in my organization. Uh, more, more on that from Matt, Stan, and Tony later if their trains arrive. Whether. <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers yeah. crossed.
0: But OK, we're coming to, to the end of our yeah. Q&A now. What's like one. A few people are
1: asleep at the back. Yeah, row.
0: I know. God. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> <he's> <laughs> over here. Um, What's your one takeaway from writing this book?
1: But uh, for me, it was this point at the back here, which was um, I've never tried to answer the question of what is the meaning of life. But the more so in terms of the book, right, we had, we're up to, um, Tony and Matt talk about this later, but we're up to about analyzing about 2 million employees regularly, which is about 20 million data points. And we also use lots of external academic research, because we want to mix real-time data academic research and the experts. Um, There's Andrew sitting in front of me, is another one. Um, In terms of um, practitioners, because even if you've got the data and you've got the research, sometimes on the front line, it's completely different. So it was was really important to bring the researchers in. But the more of the conversations I had, so there's 24 podcasts on each one, the more of the research that I read. um, And also, uh, my my, my brother Kieran is here, by the way. Hi, Kieran. Round of applause to Kieran. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he's embarrassed. If you were, he's, he's a farmer. If you've got any farming questions, go to Kieran later. Um, but Pat, my other brother, works at the Happiness Index. And um, he, he's created for, how many years has he done that for, Chris? The custo- uh, Pat's Nuggets. It's yeah. How, how? Pat's created this file. It's an anonymous <laughs> file called Pat's Nuggets. And it's just stuff that we've learned from our clients. But that's the crazy thing. like even where we've got the data, we've got the research and everything, once you put it into the real life scenarios, crazy stuff happens.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we'll talk, we'll do that, we'll have that session later. So the word and the thing that came, kept coming back when the more papers are read is that it's really hard to be happy unless you have purpose in life effectively. And that purpose doesn't have to be work. That could be like, that could be coaching the local team. That could be, you could be a big part of your religious community. That could be volunteering or whatever. But The more I came back to, was that that bit up there, which is the the link between purpose and um, purpose and happiness, and and finding that. And I think that's why so many people now look to. They don't call it retirement, do they? It's like engaged retirement, or try and have projects and stuff to keep keep your brain and your body moving. So that that was the thing that kept speaking to me as I was as I was going through all the research.
0: Wicked, love it. Well, thanks for sitting down with me, Matt. Well, thanks for what a time. This has been great. (laughs)